Welcome back to the Life of Garrity podcast and to our living room. Today is part three of this mini series about navigating chronic disease. talking about the next phase of this journey and in last week's episode we talked about me getting my initial diagnosis of ulcerative colitis and the mindset that accompanied that and how that you know went up and down and ebbed and flowed and then we left off where we had gone back to the original gastroenterologist who had diagnosed me said hey symptoms are really bad And all she did was double my dose and say, I don't know why this medication isn't working. It should be working. And we got in the elevator and Ryan suggested that we get a second opinion. And it was that little glimmer when he said that it made me feel like he believed in me and that I wasn't crazy. No. And if you have chronic disease, you know it's an invisible disease. You're you're suffering in silence and there may you may have people close to you in your life who literally think you're crazy. Yeah. And I would say this, that was really it was really important for me to sit with the doctor herself and actually see the charts and see what she's looking at and hear her explain what it was that Lori was dealing with. Because up until then, I could obviously see the symptoms. I could see the uh, frustrations. I can see the embarrassment, the stigma surrounding it, the difficulty in talking about it. You know, she doesn't want to uh, upset me. Uh, She doesn't want to really admit that anything is truly wrong. And to her credit, we don't really know that, right? Uh, obviously we know a lot more than we do now looking back it's a different story but it was definitely important for me to sit in front of the medical professional and hear it myself and be able to ask the questions i think you know i think for a lot of people it wasn't that i didn't believe you at all i saw it you know but i was trying to trying to understand from her perspective where we were at and you know what the prognosis looked like and what the treatment regimen looked like i mean you know, especially because we'd gotten to the point where it was getting worse and worse and worse. I'm thinking, well, this is your job. I'm not a medical professional. I don't want to tell you what to do, but it just didn't feel good to hear her kind of present a wishy-washy sort of approach. And to her credit, it's not that she's a bad doctor. She did the best she could. But we later learned after we sought this second opinion that her area of expertise is more generalized GI, right? And so we started to go down the road of, for our second opinion, we were quickly directed to talking to a specialist or seeking a specialist, right? And so how did we get there? The universe intervened and put all the pieces together. So what happened was I have a good friend of mine. Hi, Jackie. She is a nurse and I had been telling her, uh, you know, she goes to our CrossFit gym and and we lift together and she would, you know, ask me how I was doing. And there were some days where I would come into the gym and she would be like, 
woof. You, like I can I can see how anemic you are right now. Like, are you sure you should be here right now? And I've I felt really safe and comfortable talking to her because she's a medical professional and she understands what my body was going through. And it was someone I could open up to who just understood and where I didn't feel like I had to put on a show and pretend like I was okay. Right. Anyway, I called Jackie and I was like, you know what? Here's what happened. But here's the symptoms I'm having. That's not normal, right? And she was like, no, that is serious. And we have another mutual friend who is a an NTP, which stands for Nutritional Therapy Practitioner. And she's also another coach at our CrossFit gym, uh, Christine D'Angelo. And she uh, had heard what was going on. Jackie had mentioned, you know, kind of what was going on. And luckily Christine reached out to me and said hey if you don't want to talk about it totally cool but I heard you're having a hard time if you want you know to talk let me know so I call her and turns out one of her very close friends has Crohn's disease and has had Crohn's for 20 plus years and uh and it was very severe like my situation and she said I don't know like you could reach out to her mate or maybe uh, let, let me find out who her doctor is. Because at that point I was focused on, got to find a second opinion. Who do I ask? Where do I go? Right. So meanwhile, I probably could have Googled it. You always want to like, you know, go see somebody that comes recommended. Yes, you want to, because at that point we were willing to pay anything, insurance or not. Yeah. We were, we were going to go to whoever was going to be the best. So she gets back to me. And this is what you want. When someone recommends their doctor, this is exactly what you want to hear. You got to see my doctor. He's the best. People travel across the country just to see him. You got to go there. And so we were like, let's do it. And I call them. Sure enough, they take up my insurance, which was a relief. And we're off to the races. So huge shout out Dr. Adam Steinloff at the Mount Sinai IBD Center on the Upper East Side right. of Manhattan. So that's where we ended up. Uh in literally the IBD center that's yes. dedicated specifically to IBD and all the diseases that accompany it that fall into, into the same bucket. Yeah, which is Crohn's and colitis. Right. And no surprise, it happens to be at one of the premier healthcare institutions in the world in Mount Sinai on the Upper East Side, which it's funny because Lori and I go back and talk about this because we were thinking when we lived in Aspen, if this were to happen when we were in Aspen, the additional burden that we'd have to deal with in driving to Denver, which is the nearest, yes. closest city that would have somebody like that, not to mention, you know, who they had. It's not to say that they don't have any medical professionals out there that are specialists, but I'm sure they do. And I'm sure they're great doctors. But here we are in the center of the universe with New York City right here. And not only do you have Mount Sinai, you have a number of other world-class institutions with um, Sloan Kettering and a bunch of, and, a, and, and the like. And so it was a very serendipitous experience. Yeah. So I felt really, I was excited that I had a concrete answer. They took my insurance. Okay, go there. So we get an appointment mm -hmm. and we... Ryan comes with me because at this point I'm still very anemic and I'd stopped taking those iron pills because they hurt my stomach. So I'm just really loopy and out of it. And I don't really know what's going on. She needs a chaperone. 
I really needed a chaperone. Plus, I wanted to make sure that I supported her in asking the hard questions to the new doctor. Yes. Because that was the big thing in the beginning, because the stigma surrounding it and not wanting to truly admit the severity of the situation. And so being willing to actually be honest with what you're experiencing, right? And obviously it sounds intuitive now when you think about it. Obviously you want to tell your doctor all of the things so that they have all the available information to make the appropriate diagnosis and prognosis. But it's tough because you're literally sitting face to face with a person and although they are the, they are the specialist, they're also a human being. And you you now have to tell somebody else who's not in your core family unit, which is just Lori and I, about these embarrassing episodes and how you feel, mm -hmm. even if you know they're there to take that information and synthesize it and process it into understanding what the diagnosis is and what treatment plans are available, mm -hmm. right? So we go in for our second opinion and, you know, I brought all of my paperwork from my last doctor and I said, Hey, here I am. Uh, my medication stopped working and I'm here for a second opinion because I'm out of options. And there were a lot of reasons why we felt comfortable right away. But one of them was he made me, it was the first time that I really felt like I wasn't an alien and that I was just a normal person mm -hmm. and that this just happens to be something I'm going through right now and that there are plenty of options. And he always would repeat that there are plenty of options. Yeah. And I just didn't feel so weird. He made me feel like a human. Yeah. And he was very transparent and broke it down into layman terms and just kind of literally took a piece of paper out yeah. and started to write what the most obvious options were and what that path looked like. He said, yeah. this is where you start. And then as it gets more advanced or this doesn't work, you move on to more advanced medicines and therapies and there's different classes and this is this and this is this. And he wrote them all down and basically mm -hmm. presented a graphical representation of what a treatment plan would look like and what the options were. Uh -huh. And it was comforting to know that there were a lot of options. Yeah. Um, and some of the brand name drugs rang a bell because you see them all the time on ads and TV, right? Yeah. These, these specialized treatments. And what's funny about that is if you ever watch television, it's usually like CBS or the news stations when you get those commercials for those brand drugs. And they're talking about treating IBD, whether it's Crohn's or colitis or ulcerative colitis. Pay attention to who they depict in the ad. It's a lot of young people now. There's a huge pool of folks out there. More people have this than you'd think than you think, right? So it's not the old folks that no. they're marketing this to. It's literally people like us. Yeah, it's people our age. You know, so he started talking about some of these things and we started to recognize names We're like, oh, okay. How does that work? Yeah, and he took the time to explain how each of the drugs work because some of them sound kind of scary. Exactly. And Ryan asked, what is the long-term, like, is she going to be on medication forever? And... 
he turned and looked right at you and said, this is a chronic disease. She'll have this forever. And in that moment, I heard what he said. I filed it away to deal with later. And I just could not hear it until it took a few weeks, which I'll tell you about in a minute. So mm-hmm. while we were there, he explained all the different options. And he also made a point to say that my previous doctor didn't do anything wrong and that uh, the steps she took were the right steps. It's the same thing he would have done. They always start you know, with the most basic medication and then you ramp up from there. And sometimes you add in things here and there to get out of a really bad flare, which we did at one point. So in the very beginning, he said, uh, you know, one thing that was important to us was we want to start a family and time's a ticking for me and having Hashimoto's pregnancy could be tough and uh, just like fertility in general. So um, something that was important to us was getting in remission as quick as possible. And he said, in that case, I would recommend biologics. And what those are is you go into an infusion center and you get an IV and they pump these drugs into your veins and it essentially turns off a part of your immune system. So it's, think about chemotherapy. It is a non-oncology version of chemotherapy. And the thing I would point out, we talk about just to backtrack very quickly, talk about uh, fertility. He was very confident in the beginning. He's like, well, these drugs should help. There's no indication that they would hinder any sort of ability to get pregnant or even have a healthy, healthy baby. And, um, so yeah, so we were, we were definitely, um, more hopeful about that for sure. And so that's why he chose to go, uh, to start the treatment regimen where he started it. I love that you brought that up because I always forget to say this, that that was something else that I felt I had been preparing myself for like a decade for starting a family someday. And just, I had always had in the back of my mind, I want to be as healthy as possible for when I start a family. And you started taking prenatals like 10 years ago. (laughs) Yeah. I got a birth control 10 years ago. Like I was like, let me clean out my body right now. And I took that so serious. So when it came time to, you know, getting this diagnosis, I was heartbroken thinking, wait a minute, my path to fertility is not going to look the way I always dreamed it would. Like, I love when people are like, oh, I just could never take medication. I don't want to be someone who's on medication for the rest of my life. I was one of those people. I felt that way. And it was like a slap in the face to be like, nope, this is going to be your journey because you're going to be able to take the story and help so many other people. So I had that, I had all those feelings and going to him and saying, okay, what does this look like for pregnancy? They have an entire program built around fertility and uh, perinatal and postnatal within the IBD center at Mount Sinai. And uh, they have specialists on staff for that. And he just said, this isn't a problem. This is not going to be a problem at all. And that for me was such a relief because it was the first time that a doctor made me feel like, I was going to be able to have a family someday. And there's this idea in the health and wellness that you want to be as healthy as you possibly can before you get pregnant. And it's like, well, yeah, of course, of course you do. But there's this idea that if you're not 
in complete 100% picture perfect health, you don't deserve to have a baby. You don't deserve to get pregnant. That was really what I heard. And I want to say that in case someone listening to this feels that because I really did. I felt that stigma from the health and wellness industry where because I'm on these hardcore medications, I don't get to have that. If that's what you're hearing, then go see somebody else. Exactly. And I really had to start filtering what I was hearing. Right. I had to stop listening to a lot of the health and wellness podcasts I was listening to at the time because I, I felt like I was kicked out of the club. Yeah. And everybody presents themselves as as an expert in their field. And some are legitimate experts Mm -hmm. in their field. Some are not. And if you've never stood, I posted about this on Instagram one time when fast, well, we'll get there, but I was standing in my hospital socks and I had to have an emergency colonoscopy. And I said, if you've never stood in my hospital socks, then do not judge. Like, don't tell me what is or isn't right in my life. If right. you've never stood in these shoes. Right. And to continue this digression very quickly, I think that's one thing that we're going to talk a little bit more about too, is that there's so many people out there with an opinion about what you should do. And unfortunately early on, you know, we are easily, we're susceptible to listening to these folks because they come from this place where they present themselves as an expert in the field. And, um, you know, you're made, you're definitely, there's, you're, there's definitely a stigma where you're made to feel like you're doing something wrong if you're not doing all the things the right way, all the holistic things. Right. Mm-hmm. And if God forbid you should rely on Western medicine for anything, mm-hmm. then you're kicked out of the club type thing. And that's obviously not a helpful no. narrative to hear. And Dr. Steinloff was like, we got you. Yeah. This he's is no like, big deal. He's like, we got you, you know? And so the way I look at it was like, yeah, we're still living this healthy lifestyle, this holistic lifestyle, but with what Lori has had to deal with, with chronic disease, we just need a little extra, a little extra boost, you know? And that's where this class of drugs came in biologics and he explained to us how they work. So he said, think about it. Let us know if that's a track you want to go on because there is a lengthy approval process. So go home, think about it. And we were at home and I remember having a flare. I had a pretty gnarly flare. Flare meaning I was like very fatigued, lost a bunch of weight rapidly and was bedridden. And Ryan came into the room one day and I was bawling. And he's like, what's going on? And I said, I have a chronic disease. And he's like, yeah, yeah, totally. We knew that. The doctor said that. Like, it's, if you Google it, right? But it was the first time that I actually heard it and understood, oh, this is chronic And I have no control over it. And it was in that moment that I was like, I'm ready to surrender and let's try these drugs. Let's do it. Yeah. And I felt too that I was going to, I wasn't sure what the judgment, I was bracing myself for a lot of judgment. And I 
that was when I decided I want to share about this publicly on Instagram because if I'm feeling this, how many other people are feeling the same thing? Yeah, exactly. I think, you know, my perspective, it feels a lot different than that. I don't know if I said it as a matter of fact. Maybe I did, but my process to acceptance has been not easy either. Um, you know, and my biggest thing was I was really hopeful that there was a treatment regimen out there or a, a drug that could really help us get into remission. But the concept of this idea that there was this lifelong journey with this disease was a tough pill to swallow. And I worked through that. And my biggest concern or not concern, but just more like sadness was that I felt like it would detract from our and her quality of life. And that's why when I share that with, I have a couple of spiritual mentors that I work with and I talk about it. I get emotional because it's more sadness than anything, you know? And so in the beginning, that's, that's how I felt. Like, I think it, it's not very useful to pack it away and not think about it. Right. I highly recommend that you deal with it head on and you start that process of acceptance because it's not an overnight matter. Um, and I truly believe you should lean on some folks that you are close with in your life. But, um, but yeah, that was the big thing for me was, yes, it's a chronic disease and truly understanding what that meant. And then just hoping that, you know, down the line, it doesn't cause additional issues or it doesn't, you know, detract from the life that we always wanted to live. And I was comfortable to sit with Dr. Steinloff and hear him talk about his level of conviction Yes. In the treatment. He was confident. Yeah. He brought you in for a colonoscopy because he needs to do his own colonoscopy, of course. That's what Lori talks about with her hospital socks. And I remember sitting with him on the follow-up and he, he had kind of the similar opinion to the first GI doctor in that it was also very localized and very, very close, easily reachable. And he was like, his level of conviction when he came in the room, he was like, it made it seem like Lori was the least of his troubles, <laughs> the least of his worries when he thinks about all the patients he treats. Yeah. And it wasn't necessarily to, to downplay the disease, but it was really comforting to hear that because, you know, he's a specialist in the field and to have him be able to tell us exactly what he thinks needs to happen coming from experience and expertise was like, Oh, finally able to breathe a sigh of relief, like we're in the right place, right? Yes, we're gonna be taken care of. So I made the decision to start Biologics and how that works is they do a bunch of blood work, they check you for a bunch of stuff, you have to do a chest scan because these are uh, these drugs compromise your ability to fight uh, infections especially in the in the lungs and that process takes like six weeks and then 
after that, they go to your insurance and they try to get approval. And that, again, takes several weeks. And I remember when I got the call that I was approved to start treatment, I was sitting in this really cool restaurant by myself in Charleston. And I got the call. And I was so excited. I was like shaking because I had been waiting every single day, just waiting, waiting, waiting for the call. Because once you make the decision to start, you're like, can we start now? And they're like, nope, we can't start for a long time. Nope, it's going to be three months. It's going to be three months from now. So just hang in there. And I got this call. I was shaking. And we set the date, December 19th, 2018, for my first appointment. And I remember this feeling that all of a sudden my body was no longer mine. Mm. And it was a weird feeling because I was so excited. Like up to that point, I was so excited to start. And then once the appointment was made, I just, I felt different. So fast forward, I go to my first appointment. I cry the entire appointment, which I now, looking back, was so weird. There's some Instagram posts on there. <laughs> I'm sh- I remember those. So Ryan came with me, of course, because I was terrified. I didn't know what to expect. Yeah, and I remember that. What happened? So the first drug I started with is Remicade. And in America, because of the health insurance, uh, the way health insurance works, you start with pretty much everyone starts with Remicade and then because that's the tried and true, there's a 50-50 chance whether or not it'll work. But if it does, it's great for the insurance company because it's cheap. It's essentially the standard of care. Yeah. And then from there, if that doesn't work, then you go to the next one and the next one and the next one and the next one. They call it step therapy. Yeah. So. And they get more specialized. Yeah. They get. Yeah. Because Remicade is more of a broad-based immune suppressant. So it's a systemic Yeah, it's used for Crohn's, colitis, rheumatoid arthritis, plaque psoriasis, everything. Yeah, a lot lot of the autoimmune diseases that cause significant damage and issues, right? And so they all kind of have this telltale symbol. So so they're useful on those. The unfortunate part about Remicade is, like I said, it's systemic. So it affects the entire body. It affects affects the entire body. So how you do when you start any biologic, you do your first appointment and it's it's a three hour infusion. So you're there for a while. Yeah, Remicade is long. It's long. And it takes a while to get the drug because once you arrive, they weigh you and they give you, the amount that they give you is based on your weight. So it's like you get there, you get checked in, they weigh you, then they have to send it to the pharmacy, then you wait for the drug. So it's a process. Yeah. And then, and then the infusion itself takes three. After that, uh, then you come back in two weeks, you do another one. And that one is scary because they say, if you're going to have a reaction, it's going to be on this one because now your body already has some in it and now you're giving it more. And we're going to just, we're going to figure out if your body right. is okay with it or not. So then that one, they do even slower because of the reactions and they give you like Benadryl and a bunch of stuff. And then you come back four weeks later. So all three of those infusions are called the induction phase. And then after that, then you go then you move to an eight week cycle. So then you only come in every eight weeks and then they adjust it from there. But with each of those, 
you have to, if they want to up your dose or if they want to up your frequency, we have to get approval from the insurance company. And this is one way where for us, it was really nice working with Dr. Stenloff and a IBD center that has a lot of experience is that they know the correct steps to take to get approval from the insurance company. So they know what the insurance company will look at and deny. And once you get into that denial phase, it's it's tough. So I've luckily not had to experience that yet. But in the beginning, it didn't work. And I was having a lot of side effects. So I'll just say really quickly, one of the big side effects, I called it the Remicade Blues, was the next day, I would just be so sad. I would feel like this dark cloud over me. And I don't have clinical depression, but I think I got a small taste of what that feels like. And it was weird because it felt like I did it to myself. Mm. And like, I chose this and yeah. how dare I do that? Right. It was weird. But I would, after a few infusions, I learned that that was one of my side effects. And then I could kind of start to laugh about it. And I would just be crying and crying. And then Ryan would make a joke and make me laugh. And we could kind of push through it because we knew it was temporary. We knew like the third day I would be like, man, that was rough, right? Like now we're on the outside. So that was one of them. And then I also would have very severe like body aches a couple days after. So after a few infusions, then they started adding a steroid to my IV and that was a rowdy, rowdy ride. So uh, I remember I would leave those infusions with, um, it would be really hard to, to walk like I would feel like everything was in slow motion and my mind would just all of a sudden be thinking really slowly and I would be trying to walk to get home and my, I would have to like pick up one leg and step it in front of the other and pick up the other leg and step in front of the other and it was it was so weird but it had a really heavy reaction on my body and I'll also say because it didn't work right away they bumped me up to the highest frequency and the highest dose so it was like my body was all of a sudden going through a lot and my liver was all of a sudden processing a lot. So I was on Remicade for seven months. And Which it takes quite a bit of time before you realize if it's actually going to work. It doesn't yeah. take, it doesn't start right away. No. Six months is about what they say is the minimum you should wait before you see if there's an improvement. Exactly. And that's devastating, you guys. When it's when you're dealing with the kind of symptoms, some people have a lot of severe pain. I didn't have severe pain, but I had, I'll just say it, uh, a severe amount of bleeding. So that is very disruptive to your life and very hard on, hard on your body. And when you're waiting seven months, so the way he did it was you ramp up in a certain way. And then you also, uh, he got specific blood tests to be able to prove to the health insurance company that it wasn't working. And uh, he was able to use these special tests that show that I not only failed Remicade, but I failed that entire class of drugs, which was a total godsend for us because that meant that I got to skip the line and I got to go to the next drug, which is the one I'm on today. And that is Entivio. You've probably seen commercials. So he was able to get me approval. And that one is tough to get approval for because it's very, very expensive. And 
Uh, Not all insurance companies will approve it. So I was very, very lucky and that I have health insurance and that I have very good health insurance. So I got that approval, started that 11 months ago. And I've been on Intivio for 11 months. And it was just a couple of months ago that my blood work finally started to show improvement. And I've had a couple of false starts here and there. Right after I finished the induction phase, my swelling basically went away. And I felt like I was in remission. And I was so excited. But it only lasted about three and a half weeks. And then slowly my symptoms came back. So that was really, really hard mentally to be like, oh my gosh. And right around then I also started mental health therapy. We'll talk about that another time, but that has been huge and pivotal in my uh, healing and getting into remission. So where I'm at today is I'm still not all the way there. Had you told me when I said yes to biologics that I would be sitting here 18 months later, still not there yet, I think that would have devastated me. So I'm glad I didn't know that. Yeah. I'm glad I thought it was a f- quick fix because mm. I, at that time, I just needed something. I needed some kind of, just tell me it's going to be okay. I needed a little bit of hope. And that's what I had. And I've just been hanging on. So we're almost there. I've been feeling pretty good lately. I am doing a stricter low histamine diet right now just because I definitely have histamine intolerance and of all the diets out there that's the one that like really shows a lot of benefits for me and um right now i'm on a four-week cycle so i go into the infusion center once every four weeks and i love it i love going in there i love the nurses the atmosphere is great i couldn't ask for a better uh a better hospital to be affiliated with yeah So I will end this conversation with one really important experience that I had last fall. I went to a retreat for a podcast that I love and it was in LA and I told someone that I, someone had overheard that I had ulcerative colitis and a woman came up to me later that night and said, Hey, I heard you say you have ulcerative colitis. And I said, yes. And she said, I have Crohn's. And I said, no way what are what medication are you on and she said oh i've been on remicade for 14 years and i knew that she had three healthy perfectly normal kiddos and meeting her gave me permission that i'm not a bad person Mm -hmm. for saying yes to hardcore drugs and that i deserve to live a great life and that I deserve to pursue motherhood in the future if I wish to. Yeah. And I'll end this conversation with that. See you next week. If you heard something on this podcast today that resonates with you or that you relate to, or maybe something you want to hear a little bit more about, we would love to hear from you. We would love to hear your story. Please send us an email. Hello at lifeofgarity.com.